Hey friend, welcome back. This episode is focusing on intuitive eating principle nine, exercise, feel the difference, and principle 10, gentle nutrition. If this is the first time you're listening to the show, you can start here and also make sure you go back a few episodes so you learn all 10 of the intuitive eating principles. I also have some really exciting things in store for you to piggyback off this episode. I'm working on having some special guests on the Emotional Eating Therapist show, and our first set of guests will be personal trainers. After listening to this episode, I'm super excited to share with you how you can trade exercise for movement, and you'll hear all about it from fitness professionals. So stay tuned for those episodes, which will likely air later this month or in October. Interesting little factoid. In 2012, I certified as a personal trainer. I've also taught fitness classes over the years, including Zumba. Back in those days, and even earlier, I always thought of exercise as something I had to do in order to have the perfect body, or something I had to do to punish myself for eating something I wasn't supposed to. And because of this, I had a love-hate relationship with exercise. Sometimes I loved what I was doing and how I was moving my body. Other times, I hated that I had to work out. I really hated that I had to run the mile in gym class. As a recovering perfectionist, I always had to get it right or do it best. And if I couldn't, there wasn't any point in trying. So I was never going to put in the effort to be the fastest kid in class. And I'd beat myself up if I missed a move in class. I was miserable. When I was doing something I enjoyed and messed up, I would quickly turn it into a bad experience, rather than accepting we all make mistakes. I've talked before about beginning diets around the age of 12. Before that, exercise was something that I never thought of. I was a little awkward, so my mom put me in dance around the age of 4. I loved it. I could move my body in ways that felt natural and pleasurable. Unfortunately, as the dance industry goes... It became more and more competitive, and I lost interest, not wanting to put in the time required to be the best. I lived in the country and would spend all day outside playing, either in the green belt or riding bikes up and down the lane. Pee at school was fun. We'd play games, ride scooters, and the word exercise never even crossed my mind. But then something changed in middle school. Okay, actually, a lot of things change in middle school. Hormones are running amok, bodies are changing, and everyone feels awkward and self-conscious. PE or gym class became less about playing with friends and more about exercise. This is when I first remember the presidential fitness tests and my performance never measuring up. This is when we started running the mile around the track. I hated it. I missed the days of play and fun, and I quickly learned that I have to exercise to be acceptable. This belief continued all through high school and into my 30s. There were periods where I was moving more joyfully and enjoying moving my body, but the underlying reason for moving was to control my body because it needed to look a certain way. Thank the fairy godmother for bringing along intuitive eating and showing me exercise can be fun and enjoyable. It doesn't need to be punishment. The idea that I could move my body for any reason other than to control it punish it, or to burn calories, was something that took me a really long time to wrap my head around. But I did it, and so can you. Rather than focusing on the calorie-burning effect of exercise, shift your attention to how it feels to move in your body. This can have a huge impact on your motivation. 
I remember laying in bed most mornings, convincing myself to get up and exercise to reach my goals of changing my body. When I shifted to joyful movement, this stopped completely. In fact, I no longer even set an alarm clock. I wake up at roughly the same time every morning, and one of the first things I do is go for a walk with Emrys. Some mornings we just go down the lane and back. Other mornings we go a mile. And then other mornings we get almost three miles in. And if we feel like running, we run. And if I feel like walking, we just walk the whole time. It's never felt like a chore, something I had to do. It's now something I look forward to, and I notice my body asking for more. Let's look at some of the reasons you may dislike exercise or moving your body. If you've been dieting and limiting carbs, you may feel tired, if not exhausted from exercising. This is because carbs are fuel, and when you move your body, it needs fuel. Just like a car cannot run without gas, your body cannot run without carbohydrates. When you don't have enough energy for daily activities, adding in exercise will not be enjoyable and it will feel like a chore. Doing things we don't enjoy leads to the start-stop cycle and perpetuates that all-or-nothing thinking. Stopping an exercise plan can also lead to feelings of guilt and shame, neither of which are good for your mental health. Another reason you might be against exercise or moving your body is because it was used as punishment or you have uncomfortable experiences associated with moving your body. Being teased for moving your body because of your size or lack of coordination, being picked last for the team, and being forced to move your body all leave a bad taste in your mouth. And the more experiences you have that make you feel bad about moving your body, the harder it is to enjoy moving. Or you may be rebelling, either intentionally or subconsciously. We've all gone through the rebellious phase at some point in our life. Someone telling me what to do and doing the opposite. If a doctor or loved one told you to go to the gym or better start exercising, you may be putting off moving your body in a way to defy these people. If this sounds like you, that's okay. Let's just be aware of this and be curious about it and gently ask yourself where this is coming from and see what arises. So how do we get you to a place of moving your body in ways that feel good? First, we need to make sure you're ready. Gone are the days when you are forced to do something, even if you have an interest in it. From now on, you're only going to move your body if and when you choose to. This particular journey took me almost a year. This may seem like a long time, and I'm going to caution you not to compare your journey with mine. It will take as long as it needs to. I do think if I had a fairy godmother guiding me through the process, I would have moved through this much quicker and had an easier time with it. This is why I include joyful movement in my five-month program, Healthily Ever After, which is currently open for enrollment. Check out the show notes for more information and how we can chat to see if this is a good fit for you. In 2019, I trained for my first half marathon. At that point, I was moving my body almost 100% of the time because I wanted to and I enjoyed it. The training schedule did not align with joyful movement and listening to my body. After completing the 13.1 miles in October, I stopped doing any type of movement. I think COVID helped with that because when the world shut down, I wasn't able to go to Zumba. 
I made a pact with myself that I wasn't going to move my body in any way that felt punishing or in any way that I did not enjoy and wasn't going to count calories. As I started to move again, I focused on the other benefits of moving, like how it affects my mental health, my physical health, and my overall well-being. I focused on how my body felt before, during, and after moving. I began to hear things my body had been trying to tell me, but that I hadn't been listening to. My legs and hips were telling me that I was holding on to a lot of stress, and they wanted to move in more gentle ways. I noticed sleeping better on days that I did move my body. I noticed feeling more energized throughout the day. And I noticed that I appreciated my body a hell of a lot more. I also focused on making movement fun again. This meant going on hikes with family and exploring new places. When doing solo activities like walking or running or stretching, I listened to a variety of audiobooks, podcasts, and music. Previously, when I would run, I'd use an app to tell me when to run and when to walk. I'd obsess about if I was going fast enough. Now, when Emerson and I get out, we run when we feel like running, and we start walking when we need to. This new approach has allowed me to let go of the guilt if a workout wasn't good enough, if I didn't run far enough, or fast enough, or have enough running intervals. Instead, I lace up my shoes and have fun. And when it's not fun, I stop. Some other things to take into consideration as you heal your relationship with movement is to be comfortable. If your shoes don't fit right, get fitted for a new pair. If your clothes are too tight or too loose or just don't feel right, get a couple new pairs so you can always have a clean set ready to go. Find ways to include strength training. This doesn't mean you need to go to a gym or buy a big weight machine. Simple body weight training is enough. Strength training helps rebuild muscle wear, and tear from dieting. And as we get older, we lose muscle mass and bone density, which means we are less coordinated and more likely to have falls and to break bones. Strength training and stretching helps to prevent injuries now and as we age. It also means we're able to get ourselves on and off the toilet independently, which, in my opinion, is great motivation. The longer I can stay independent, the better. So whether it's increasing your ability to handle stress, feeling good in your body, or aging independently, movement is a great way to meet your needs. But also remember the power of rest and not overdoing it. We're only moving in ways that feel good, and that includes taking some time to let your body recover from whatever you're doing physically. Now let's switch gears and talk about principle 10, honoring your health with gentle nutrition. This is the key to living healthily ever after. No more diets telling you what to eat or not to eat. No one else telling you how to move your body. Just you, honoring what your body needs day to day. Gentle nutrition and honoring health is the last of the principles because in order to take care of yourself by honoring your taste buds while also choosing foods that make you feel well, a healthy relationship with food needs to exist. If you still fear foods, view them as good or bad, or only eat certain foods because they are good for you, we run the risk of these guidelines being embraced just like a diet. Nutrition definitely serves a role in our health. Unfortunately, the way it's being presented as a whole leads to guilt and shame if you aren't being perfect with it. With gentle nutrition, we can honor what is best for our bodies while also enjoying food and having fun. 
I used to be so confused about what to eat and what not to eat. I remember a conversation with my aunt where I was reviewing research on different ways of eating and different foods. I became so exasperated with all the contradictions and not having a clear answer of what I was supposed to eat. I often hear the same complaint from women, especially us perfectionists. We want to do it right, whether that's running a business, being a friend, or eating. And with all the different messages out there, it's confusing to decide what is best for you. We can easily get bogged down in reading labels and, you know, paralysis of analysis. This is made worse by all the companies out there with their magic pill answers, leading us to seek the easy answer outside ourselves and being constantly let down when it doesn't work the way we want it to. If you don't trust what foods to eat and have trouble trusting your body's signals for eating, how in the world can you begin to eat healthfully? Another trap that us perfectionists can fall into is orthorexia. This is a newer type of eating disorder that is characterized by an unhealthy and rigid obsession with eating healthfully and engaging in hours of exercise. If this sounds like you, let's look at this from a lens of curiosity. Ask yourself, what led to this obsession? How is it serving me? What do I believe will happen if I don't eat perfectly? And here's your gentle reminder that When it comes to nutrition and movement, there is no perfect. There's no perfect way to eat. There's no perfect way to move your body. And what works for me may not be what's best for you. Nutrition science is also ever-changing. So as we learn more, we can experiment with how this new knowledge fits for us. The more a person focuses on a number, whether that's calories, macros, portion sizes, or weight, the more it interferes with listening to their body and their own innate wisdom. Have you heard of Michael Pollan? In his book, Defense of Food, An Eater's Manifesto, he gave this beautiful piece of advice. Eat food, not too much, mostly plants. There are no numbers to strive for, minimums or maximums. It's about getting back in our bodies, eating food, enjoying food, and letting go of the guilt. I don't feel good when I eat past a certain point. We've already talked about ways to honor your fullness in episode 12. When there are no restrictions put on you, you can eat as much as you like and stop when you're satisfied because there will always be another opportunity to eat. A concern I often hear from clients is this. If I start eating whatever I want and there are no rules, I won't be able to stop. While this may occur as you are reconnecting with your body and learning your hunger and fullness cues, it won't last because nothing lasts forever. The gentler you can be with yourself during this process, the easier it will be. The more you tune in with your body, the more you'll learn when your body is satisfied and you can choose to stop eating rather than being forced or told when to stop. Another concern I hear from critics is that encouraging people to eat whatever they want will result in poor nutrition and weight gain. What research has shown is the exact opposite. Several studies show that eating restraint is associated with weight gain, whereas intuitive eating is associated with improved nutrient intake, eating a wider variety of foods, and reduced eating disorder symptomatology. That sounds like a win to me. I get to eat whatever I want, and I get to be healthier? Sign me up. While I really want to stay away from the black and white terms of healthy versus junk food, I'm going to talk about how Triboli and Resch define healthy eating in their intuitive eating book. They define healthy eating as having a balance of foods 
and having a healthy relationship with food. A healthy balance means honoring your taste buds, allowing a variety of foods, and noticing how you feel after eating these foods. While there is a nutritional difference between eating an apple and eating a slice of apple pie, neither is right or wrong. Eating healthfully feels good. Once no food is off limits, you can really tune into how you feel after eating. From there, you get to notice what foods leave you feeling good and what leaves you feeling uncomfortable. I know when I eat past a certain level of dairy, my tummy is not too happy and I'm going to be uncomfortable. Not to mention spending more time in the bathroom. Does that mean I don't enjoy ice cream, cheese, or dunking my Oreos in milk? Nope, not at all. I'm pretty aware of my threshold, and sometimes I make the choice to eat past that, knowing what's in store for me. My body also doesn't like celery. Anytime I eat it, even if it's cooked in with other things, I'm burping up celery for the rest of the day. So I choose not to eat celery very much, and if I'm cooking at home, I'll just leave it out. But if I'm eating at a restaurant or a friend's house, I get to choose if I will pick it out or eat something else, or eat it and be reminded of celery all day. In my life and in my work, I place a lot of emphasis on choice. You are in charge of yourself. You get to call all the shots here. Even if you didn't have this as a child, you have it now. You get to choose what, how, and how much you eat. And when you embrace this, when you heal your relationship with food in your body, why would you choose to make yourself uncomfortable? And before I wrap up, I want to offer some simple suggestions. Keeping in mind, you're the expert here, and you may get to do some experimenting to find out what is right for you. First, enjoy foods. If you aren't enjoying it, stop and find something that will hit the spot better. In the late 80s, Julia Child had a task force that summed up their message to, in matters of taste, consider nutrition, and in matters of nutrition, consider taste. Second, when it comes to quantity, not too little and not too much. This isn't defined by someone else. You get to decide what this is, and you get to be gentle with yourself as you figure it out on those occasions when you don't honor it so well. Third, eat fruits and vegetables. Studies have shown the link between eating fruits and veggies and having a lower risk of many chronic diseases, including cancer. Fourth, drink plenty of fluids. Focusing on learning how much water your body needs, knowing that in hot months, you will likely need more. And fifth, get a variety of foods. This means a variety of flavors, sweet, salty, sour, bitter, and umami, or savory. A variety of proteins, carbs, fats, fruits, and veggies. And it means a variety of colors, textures, and temperatures. Remember, we're using all of our senses when we eat. I want to end on Tripoli and Russia's Intuitive Eating Bill of Rights. In the show notes, you can find a link to a printable version of this, and if you'd like to hang it up around your house, I highly recommend doing so. Number one, I have the right to savor my meal without cajoling or judgment and without discussion of calories eaten or the amount of exercise needed to burn off said calories. Number two, I have the right to enjoy second servings without apology. Number three, I have the right to honor my fullness, even if that means saying no thank you without explanation to dessert or a second helping of food. 
Number four, I have the right to stick to my original answer of no, even if I'm asked multiple times. I will calmly and politely repeat, no thank you, really. Number five, it is not my responsibility to make someone happy by overeating, even if it took hours to prepare a specialty dish. And number six, I have the right to eat pumpkin pie for breakfast or cereal for dinner, regardless of judgmental comments or rolled eyes. Remember, no one except for you knows how you feel, both emotionally and physically. Only you can be the expert of your body. This requires inner attunement rather than the external, well-meaning suggestions from friends and family. And one final reminder. If you have any questions or ideas for future topics, I'd love to hear from you. Remember, my email is in the show notes below.